Welcome to Advancing the Conversation with Dr. Christy Carnahan and Dr. Kate Doyle from the University of Cincinnati's Special Education Department. I'm Ashley Barla, your host. We started this podcast in an effort to have real conversations about the role of self-determination in all our lives, specifically in supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. If you're a teacher, a person interested in becoming a teacher, a parent, a sibling, or a person with a disability, this podcast is for you. We hope you'll join us on this journey as we learn about the role of self-determination in our lives. Good morning, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Steve, let's just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you work, what your research area is, et cetera. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve Kroger. I'm a faculty member at the School of Education at the University of Cincinnati. And uh, I'm also closely associated with educational studies program, educational leadership, as well as the middle school and middle childhood education program. More recently, my area of research has been microteaching as a pedagogy to enact uh, highly engaged young prospective teachers. That is super interesting work, Steve. Why don't you, we like to start here by talking about self-determination kind of definitionally. So why don't you describe for us what you think self-determination is in your own words? Could you define it for us? Sure. When I think about myself as self-determined, I know that I shape my own future by setting my own goals planning specific steps to get there and thinking about how I need to adjust those along the way in my experience. In all this, in the context of doing something that I think is really important. That's good. So could you give us kind of an example of how self-determination would apply to your everyday life? Is there some kind of way that your studies in self-determination or what you've learned about self-determination has impacted your own personal life? Oh, gosh. And so the first story that comes to mind when you ask that question is a, an experience I had a long time ago, you maybe 20 years ago when I was first teaching. I was teaching in a school in Detroit, Michigan, and I was teaching a religion class. I was a former Jesuit priest, and I found out eventually, I was teaching seniors, and I found out over time that quite a few of them could not read, but they had so cleverly hidden that from me that, and they had protected each other. And I felt, oh, wow, that's really amazing. And I wanted to be able to help these students in some ways. And I found that I didn't know how to. And that's what led me to make a decision to become a special educator, take steps to be a person who could be of assistance to someone who was struggling like that. So that was a kind of a, a moment, really, self-determination for me. Well, that's really interesting. I tell people that I consider myself to be a fixer. Mm. I identify a problem and I fix it. And that was you saying, oh, I, I need to learn more about this and to help these people. I bet Christy or Katie has had a similar experience with their own professional journeys in special education. Am I right, ladies? Go ahead, Kate. Oh, I don't have anything to share. I was just, that was interesting, Steve. I never knew that story. I was always curious how you made the bridge over to become a special ed teacher. So that was interesting. 
I held the core values of self-determination already in myself as a teacher, but I had never been as thoughtful or as intentional as I am now since we embarked on this study over the last two years. It not only, I think, has evolved me as a teacher educator, but it really has impacted me in several areas of my life, like recognizing self-determination in other people or perhaps barriers that they have to self-determination. And it really has influenced my parenting in terms of how when I approach Mm -hmm. a problem because they're embedded in being a parent, perhaps I think my response is different now after really focusing on this self-determination work. So that's been really cool to think about and see. I was listening to another podcast the other day. I can't remember which one it was, but I heard they were talking about the need to say to kids and to people, like, I believe in you. I believe you're going to make a choice. You don't need me to choose this for you. And this was specifically about parenting, actually, now that I think about it, Kate, and it was saying to your kids, I believe that you can figure out what the thing is that you need to work on and work towards that. Even if you just make mess something up big time, I believe you're a good person. You can figure this out and I'll help coach you along the way, but I'm not going to solve it for you. And that's like a direct connection. That is a direct connection. And it's so interesting how our work impacts our everyday lives. Steve, I bet you have had some really powerful experiences at work and watching how self-determination works. Can you share with us a powerful self-determination story, like sometime that you saw someone developing self-determination? Yeah, that's such a great question, Ashley. Thank you. I have a, I was thinking of a couple of different examples. The one that really stands out to me is one that I overheard in a hallway. Hey, okay, I guess it's been a couple summers now, but the program at UC does a summer program. Students come from different schools, and these are kids with really challenging kind of situations. And one of the goals of the program is self-determination. And they work, they set their goal, they adjust it, they enact it during the summer. And at the end of the summer, they do a presentation where their parents come and visit. And as the kids were in the classroom setting up, I was standing out in the hallway with a group of parents. And I'm not very good at waiting, but I was just hanging out there. And one of the, one of the mothers started telling this story about her son, who she said wanted to stop at a store and buy some sliced ham, one of his favorite foods, apparently. And, and this, was, this really struck her as unusual that he wanted to go in the store alone. And she was telling the rest of us, the parents that were standing there, myself, that he had never, and this is a kid probably 18 years old, never gone into a store by himself and bought anything. And she was beside herself with nervousness and did everything she could to constrain herself going in and following this kid around the store, make sure he was okay. But this boy went in, found a sliced ham. And then think about all the steps a person has to make inside a store. They have to find it. They have to negotiate where people are. They have to find the line. They have to get their money out. They have to calculate. They have to... So there's a lot of little decisions that a person makes. And there she was outside looking through the door at her son making this purchase. And he comes out and gets in the car and says, let's go. And she was like, my God, I just, she was just blown away 
And this was a direct result of her working uh, explicitly on these moments of self-determination. For me, like many people, we don't think about this experience of daily decisions and how every single thing we do is determined by decisions that we made in the past or things that lead up to the ability to do something. Her telling this story, it just made such a strong impression on me because we tend self-determination lies hidden in the fabric of our lives. And this is a program that kind of makes that really explicit and names it and helps kids articulate it. So it was a really a powerful moment for me hearing a parent tell a story like that. And it's the little things, right? Going into the store to buy something that you like is yeah. that brought tears to my eyes to think about it. And I've been in that mom's seat to literally be sitting on my hands and thinking, don't do it. Don't help. Just watch yeah. and see, this is what you're, this yeah. is the whole goal. And to see it work in something as simple as going into a store and successfully buying something. Absolutely. I have another little quick, I think it's a quick story. And this involves Christy because several years ago, I was in a, a teacher or faculty member asked me to come in and co-teach with him in a science methods course. And halfway through the course, he started, he just assigned students, okay, go ahead and do your micro teaching now. And I'm like, what is this? And I started watching it and I come to find out that this faculty member in Christie had worked in the past and done some micro teaching. And I'm thinking in the students, it was a moment of transformation between students sitting passively in a classroom and suddenly st they started micro teaching. They're, start, they're in charge. They're doing it right there in front of me. I realized, boy, I have to look into this. And, and that was the kind of the origin moment that was very transformational for me personally and professionally to find a methodology like micro-teaching that hands the power of teaching over to students almost immediately in kind of a, a controlled setting where they have peer support. They're not with real students yet. And it was just one of those moments where I went from a teacher who delivers information, what Paulo Freire would call banking, to a problem-posing teacher, where I'm now in a position of helping students talk about their own experience. And that was maybe four years ago. And ever since then, Kate, Christy, and I, and others have been using this as a kind of a major pedagogical shift in the way we teach. Wow. Christy, maybe you could talk a little bit for the professionals and the pre-service teachers that are out there listening about this idea of micro-teaching. Can you tell us what that looks like in the classroom? Describe for us what that looks like. I know that's probably a hard thing to do in just a couple of minutes or a couple of sentences. Sure. I'll try to be brief. And Kate or Steve, feel free to jump in. And I have, I actually have a couple other follow-up questions too that I think can help illuminate this. But micro-teaching is basically... I'm going to try not to use any jargony words. P yes, words that just like the three of us would know. But micro-teaching is a process where a teacher or somebody who wants to be a teacher or even a para in the field in a school works with someone else to identify something, a strategy that they want to use in their classroom. Then they make a plan to write out, basically just write their lesson plan of how they would do it. 
And then they practice implementing that lesson with a, with a colleague before actually implementing it with a student and they videotape themselves act, doing the lesson. And so one of the teacher, one the person who wants to gain the skill, this instructional strategy skill, implements the lesson and so their colleague acts as if they're the student. And then they go back and watch the video and they say, hey, what works well? What are some things that were messier that I want to clean up? And then they go and implement the lesson with their students. Micro-teaching is probably one of the most effective ways to improve your instructional practice and improve outcomes for kids. And I also think it is something unique about our special ed program in terms of how we are starting to weave it across all of the courses that we teach. Steve or Kate, you want to talk about what the, like why it's so impactful or what those, that effect size is? Sure. I'll leave the effect size to Dr. Kroger. He has them all memorized. You can regurgitate them at any time. I want to say 0.87. Am I right, Steve? It's very good. All right. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> I know. Well, what does high. that mean? Tell people what that, what does that mean? The scale is between zero and 100, Steve? Yeah, essentially. Essentially, yes. The crash course on effect size is if you can get something at a 0.4, it'd be you're getting almost a full years of growth, a point zero is two years of academic growth in a year. So it's the, it's over time and across time, the effect size, it means that for many students in many situations, it's highly effective and it accelerates learning as compared to other strategies. Yeah. And how that matters, yeah, to like having a sense of agency for teachers you only have such a limited amount of time with students, right? So what are you going to do to get the biggest bang for your buck? Because there's a lot of effective strategies, but there are some strategies that are triple the effectiveness of others. So that's what you should be doing in your classroom. So if you want to learn more about that, look into the work of John Hattie. I feel like it's been really transformational for our program to be looking at that. And it's overwhelming to think about teaching. Our license is K-12. So how do we teach teachers like, what they need to know to go out there. So that's been really helpful to help us zero to target. How are we going to have effective teachers when they graduate? So looking at those practices have been really helpful. Steve, I wanted you to share your driver analogy with micro teaching, because I really, that is self-determination. We've always been like talking about teaching self-determination. We've had some other conversations around a sense of agency for teachers, but maybe share your driver's seat analogy. I think that's really powerful. Kate, I remember a moment when you and I were having this conversation. I walked into your office and, and I was trying to figure out what is it about micro-teaching that is transformative for me? And I kept thinking about you're seeing students in the classroom change in front of your eyes when you're given, when they're given this opportunity to do teaching. And it reminded me of driving. Many of us experience being a passenger in a car. Then you just get in, you're having a conversation, you go from point A to point B, and then someone were to ask you, how did you get there? What were the directions? The passengers would never know. And they weren't even paying attention. They were looking at trees or whatever. Unless there's a sudden movement in the car, they're not paying attention to it. But if you ask the driver, they can give you very specific turns that they made, how they got there, when they had to speed up and slow down. And it's like, you don't pay attention until you're driving. And it's when you're, you put your hands on the wheels that, that the learning actually takes place. 
And that was the insight we had with micro teaching was that, okay, students are here. Okay, let's, I'm going to stop talking because it doesn't make any difference what I say until they're sitting in the driver's seat. And so the micro teaching puts them in the car, but not as a passenger, but as a driver. And it amazes me. We've been doing this about four years. Every single time you say, I'll take a couple of weeks to explain micro teaching. But as soon as I say, okay, now go ahead and micro teach, the students look at me like, well, what do you mean? And what are we supposed to do? And I said, that's exactly right. That's what you have to figure out. And it's a really powerful experience every single time to see that shift when they're placed in the driver's seat. They literally learn what micro teaching is by learning about micro teaching. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just want to go back for a minute to what Kate said, because I think it's really important. And I was going to say something about it before that we started this conversation out by talking about self-determination and why it's so important, but it, we're trying to weave it through our programs to so our teachers, our classroom teachers, our pre-service teachers become self-determined themselves so that they can make it, they can set goals and make a difference in the lives of their students. And so that they can actually go out and teach kids to be self-determined people, because that is the essence of being contributing to your community, being a good citizen, not just like going through life, but rebuilding relationships about it's the essence of, I don't know, being a community member. So I think like when we think about like why we're so maybe some people might say hyper-focused on self-determination is because it's so important at all those levels. It's so important for people who are going to be teachers. It's so important for kids to get, develop those skills. And specifically in our context, like kids with disabilities are fair, are, I'll just, I'll just be real, not even qualified, but like systematically left out of most opportunities that would give them the skills to be self-determined so that they can contribute to their community so that they can get a job so that they can build relationships. So I think it's like, why is this so important? And it's so important because it is like one of those pivotal skills that can change lives of many different people. I've realized is that teaching teachers to have a lens of self-determination is the hard road. Yeah. It forces you to slow down and look at barriers and help students overcome barriers because sometimes the easier thing to do as a teacher or a parent or a boss is just give someone the answer or do it for them. And sometimes that's what our default is. You know, in the past, I've just, as a teacher, I did that just because I was worried about getting to recess or worried about making it to the lunch schedule, right? When really more effective instruction would have been to pause and really say, there's the student is not able to make an effective plan here. And what are the barriers and how mm-hmm. do I help them think about that? Sometimes um, it is the harder work. You know what yeah. I mean? So how do we encourage teachers to want to do all of that work and let them know that we appreciate, we are appreciative when they do that? Because it really does. It is why you can walk into Target and buy sliced ham if you want to plan and figure out all those pieces. And those little things do matter to people. And we take it for granted when we can do it every day. Can you talk about the journey to this work? Yeah, I don't know. I'll try to keep this brief. We did with Katie, we did a study of the program. And this is pre-self-determination. And what we did, Ashley, was we recorded all of our student teachers teaching. And we did a verbatim transcription of all their teaching across the full semester. 
And then a group of us broke that down, did some decoding. This was part of our master's project. And uh, we, there's this moment I thought of that where this, our student teachers glossed over it, but it was a moment that was shocking for me in a sense that I said, so one of the students said, honey, what's it mean to be like involved in your own life decisions and stuff like that? this young man said, I have a story. And he said, I wanted to get an animal. I think it was a cat. And his parents said, no, you can't have a cat. He says, but I really want one. And they said, okay, if you really want a cat, you have to figure out all the stuff you have to do to help a cat stay alive. And he had to get a job cutting grass, even his own backyard. He had to learn how to buy the food, the cat litter to clean it, all, all the little pieces of stuff that parents all know that when they buy the pet, they're the ones going to be doing that stuff, right? And they said, no, we want to make sure that doesn't happen. And this young man was telling this story of how he got his pet. And, and at the end of the story, one of the student teachers said, okay, that was cool. Okay, now the next, they glossed over and went right to the next point. And we didn't realize the significance of that moment until we saw it on video. And we realized we're missing opportunities to stop and say, what was that wisdom that kid just brought to the thing? And that's when we went to Christy and other folks in the program and said, what is it? What is the main thing you want to be able to, as an outcome of our program? And Christy, I remember, was clear as a bell, said, I want them to tell me whether they liked what they did or not and tell me why they liked it or not. And that kind of insight from Christy led us to this notion of what this program really wants to do, help sure. kids be self-determined. Yeah, that's so powerful. And it's so neat to look at it back on video again. Steve, let's shift gears just a little bit because there's some other important piece of your work that I think is, is really important now. And that is cultural awareness and cultural sensitivity. So could you talk for us a little bit on how both families and teachers need to be culturally aware and culturally sensitive in the context of self-determination? Well, it's a great way of framing that question. Awareness, part of that is gaining deep understandings of what an individual brings to the situation. With, in the literature, this is called their funds of knowledge, is that everyone has a experience of knowledge, deep values that they bring with them from their family. And we as teachers have to figure out what are these deep roots of the family experience that students bring into the classroom, into a way of communicating. It could be the way the family interacts, a sense of love, sense of compassion that families experience in very tangible ways. But like the other day we were talking uh, in, in one of my, one of the student teachers talked about her grandmother is, was a quilter. And that was, a, it's like she just mentioned it, but suddenly I have a, an understanding. So it's a tiny window into this person's life because here's a person that she loves dearly, does quilting. 
And quilting has this very long history, right? It links to the Underground Railroads, for example, of the how the African American community commuted, communicated with each other through quilting. And so you have this individual link in the student's life that links to this much larger tradition that she was unaware of at the moment. But it was like, you only, you have to take time to figure out what those stories are in students' lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful and so important. I think we're learning due to work like yours so much more that's going to help us be more empathetic and more deliberate about our instruction to all students. Okay. We like to end with a little bit of fun around here. I have it on good authority that we have an artist in the house. So the next question is unique for you, Steve, and that is, what are you drawing right now? That's probably the thing I'm most looking forward to answering anyway. So thank you for that question. Recently, I had the honor of being invited to help develop a series of cartoons for a group of women in San Antonio, Texas. They're all Hispanic and African-American, and they are telling the story of breastfeeding. And they wanted a way that was really highly accessible for them to tell their story and asked me to be part of that. So we did a series of interviews. It was a complex process. I won't explain all the steps. But basically, I generated a series of cartoons for each individual. We, and those were sent back and forth, so I made sure we really got their narrative right. But in the end, now we have essentially a comic book of these stories of these women and their narrative of breastfeeding. And of course, I'm an old white guy, right? So what do I know about breastfeeding? It was just such a, like the learning curve I went through, figuring out all the stuff women address and deal with when they do breastfeeding, right? It's like men are completely oblivious to this stuff. So not only was it a fun project for me because I'm drawing, but I'm interviewing these amazing women. For example, the African-American, one of the women we were talking about in her communities, breastfeeding was looked down upon. We were exploring that. And she was explaining that during slavery, African-American women were forced to breastfeed white children to the demise of their own children who then experienced malnutrition. And so they moved away from breastfeeding. I'm not sure this is true for all situations, but it was like true for her family. And uh, it was like, oh my gosh, it's like everything's a pathway to something else in terms of how we learn about each other. And that's so important. It ties right back into your work in self-determination. Super. Cool. Absolutely. Steve, I think you're incredible. And I know that this is doing really good work for D. Our goal is to really help you all market the work that you're doing and get you some more quality pre-service teachers. So you're doing good stuff. Great. Thank you all. It was a real pleasure as always. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us. If you are interested in learning about the University of Cincinnati's special education, undergraduate or graduate programs, please visit us at online.uc.edu backslash special education. If you are interested in learning more about our programs for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, please visit cech.uc.edu backslash ATS.
We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at advancetheconversation at uc.edu.